0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: This is Jason W. Brooks from Las Vegas, New Mexico, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore because you never sing along with the theme song. You found a wonderful local musician to help you with a theme song and you never sing along you never sing I never listen to I doubt it with Tala more Britney Page is the best
2: I Doubt It with Dollamore. Are you ready, everybody? Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this 448th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I'm joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Hey. Yeah.
3: i'm not trapped in a jury assembly room <laughs> i got out
2: you're not
3: no i mean d- 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 let I, me- I didn't get out like i didn't walk up and try to get out of it yeah, i yeah. sat there for a while anyway what were you gonna are say? we
2: are, are we similar in the in the way i partially know the answer to the question as I'm asking it. But Perfect. Are, are we... Would you say we're more similar than not related to being aggravated in groups of people?
3: Um, Here's what I will say. I think that you get more aggravated and I simply notice the things oh, about Oh, yeah.
2: That's a great...
3: Yeah. That's so, a great distinction. Yeah. So... Like you complained about with your jury duty experience, the dummies, the people who couldn't follow directions. Yeah, uh, there were all kinds of people in in my uh, jury situation so, that couldn't follow directions as well.
2: So when you come back from your experience that was mm-hmm. similar to my experience, mm-hmm. you regale me with a with a with a story with the tales, yeah, that is just kind of uh, recounting what happened. And I come back filled with fury and rage in my my black, cold, dead heart
3: <laughs> no, I don't think that's the case i don't I don't think that's I mean it depends probably so it depends
2: you make observations I make judgments <laughs> a, accompanied by or observations accompanied with judgments,
3: yeah, I do that too. I don't know what whatever you do feels more aggressive. I don't know. <laughs> I am superior in the way that I handle the situations. Yeah. Oh, I don't doubt that. I can't explain it. Listen, it I'm just not... is the case.
2: <laughs> I am not saying that you're you're that I'm better or that you're not better.
3: Yeah. You're I am clearly
2: that. better. You're yeah. you're clearly better at it. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Even if you have aggravation, it doesn't it doesn't come off the palate as aggravation.
3: Well, there are minor things that could have changed about the situation that would have made that the case. But, oh, like
2: what? Like what?
3: Okay, well, let's get into it. So <laughs> let's get into So it. I had decided even though if I if I would have been selected for jury duty and I had to be there for several days, that would have not been great for me.
2: Yeah, it would have been an inconvenience yes, for sure. Yes.
3: And at work, it would have been it would have been a problem. So i I decided you know whatever it's my duty I need to do it okay they really
2: pile on the guilt too.
3: they do in fact, there was a woman who gave a speech she was a judge and she talked for like 20 minutes about yeah. how important it is to and thank you for saying yes. People try to get out of it, but you said yes, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Same thing happened with us.
3: Yeah, being very motivational. And I actually was moved by what she was saying. She uh, wasn't from the United States. She was from another country, and she noted her accent and said that in her country, she didn't name it, um, that this kind of system doesn't exist, and that it's like a dictatorship where wow. where a panel decides that no one voted on and it's not their peers and you know just kind of went into the whole thing and i was like yeah this i i need to be here i i need to <laughs> i have to do this please select me i will do it right now um but it was the same thing that you complained god about. bless
2: america started softly playing in the yeah, background no, i heard
3: it <laughs> Uh, But it was the same thing that you complained about where people filled all their papers wrong. That didn't specifically happen. But at one point they came out and said, "Okay, everyone needs to have parked in this specific structure. Take out your ticket. It should say stadium on it. If it does not say stadium, you are parked in the wrong place and you will need to move your car right now. So if you look at your ticket and you need to move your car, please get up.
2: This by And then the way, like sixty
3: people stood yeah, up. Yeah,
2: by the way, this is something that happened that I forgot to mention. This exact same thing happened.
3: Oh, with the parking. Yeah,
2: where people had to go leave to move their car to the correct place so right. that then they could have it validated and paid for.
3: Which when I was driving in, I was shocked by how prominent the signs were. I mean, it was basically like flashing lights, <laughs> juror party over here. Uh, it's like
2: the Strip in Vegas. Yeah,
3: good times to be had in this parking lot over here for the jurors. Well, I
2: think they have it dialed in because they're used to dealing with fucking dummies.
3: Well, they don't have it dialed in because 60 people got up. They well, need more lights. They need... I don't know what they need, but they need more because uh, it unless wasn't Unless they're going to
2: be implanting an RFID chip into <laughs> someone's goddamn skull yeah, so where they can broadcast the directions. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can do... When you're dealing with fucking dummies.
3: Okay. And then the. <laughs>
4: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
3: and uh, my neurosis is. I, I knew I was parked in the wrong. Uh, in the right place. I knew it. And I still got my still ticket. Out you to second look. guess. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, oh, maybe I am dumb. And then I wasn't. And then I had to make room for that information in my brain. So anyway, there was also a woman next to me. They tell you how to dress. You know, business casual. Yeah. You're going to be in a courtroom. You need to look presentable, right?
2: A lot of t-shirts on my
5: day.
3: Yeah, there was a woman wearing sneakers and leggings and a sweatshirt. And not like leggings, you know, like you see those commercials and they're like business pants, but they're leggings. Yeah. <laughs> or... Um,
2: the business casual yoga pants. <laughs> yeah.
3: Or, or like yoga pants that maybe just look like regular black leggings that aren't see-through. Yeah, yeah. These were... A special, like they had mesh on them, like they were the fancy, like almost
2: chiffon, where you could see through the to the skin.
3: Yeah, they were like fancy with designs on them, and you could tell they were it was workout pants. Yeah. The workout gear. She was dressed like she had just come from a workout. And then she kept complaining out loud. Almost like, I think she was trying to start up a conversation with me. One of those things, you know, where someone's kind of testing the waters by saying things out loud.
2: Yeah, or sighing really heavy... Yeah, and,
3: and she was Will saying... Will someone
2: commiserate with me? I
3: know! And she was saying <laughs> things like, oh, we have to fucking be here right now. Like, aggressive. Oh, wow. out, out loud. And I'm not gonna... Uh, when I hear that, I'm not like, oh, yes, I would like to converse with you. I'm like, wow, this person is really aggressive, and yeah, they're just yeah. talking to themselves.
2: <laughs> Shit goes down, and they're looking, who was with her? We're going to take you with us, too.
3: Also, <laughs> who's going to hear that and go, yeah, I want to talk to you? Like, we're all feeling that way, yeah, lady. Yeah. We're all feeling like we have to sit here. But the
2: rest of us are suppressing it.
3: Yeah, we have to sit here in a jury assembly room. Lady,
2: how old was she?
3: She was younger than me.
2: Oh. <laughs> what do you think about yourself by the way
3: um if she's
2: younger than you and you're calling her look lady
3: <laughs> listen here kid you uh, old bag <laughs> is that what i should have done is called her a kid anyway she continued to complain and of course she was one that parked in the wrong spot and then, yeah like she was having all kinds of problems i think she tried to go get out of it there was a woman who walked in this was a different woman and she said out loud in a panicked way um, is there any way out of this? <laughs> like ask, talking about jury duty to whom
2: who she asked?
3: She was in line waiting to get out of jury duty, but she, she just asked
2: the air, yeah,
3: like she just like a wave of panic came over her, and she just had to say it because she didn't want to be in the room. I don't know it it seemed like jury duty was much more stressful for other people than it was for me, so and you
2: actually i mean, I'm sure everybody had obligations, but you did also have obligations that you were. Um, you prioritize jury duty over right. those those other obligations,
3: but you just have to take it, you know, and relax, lay back
2: and take it. Yeah. Brittany Page is uh, that's kind of your motto. <laughs>
3: that's not my motto. Don't say that. <laughs> but ultimately, <laughs> they didn't have any need for us, so we got dismissed. Most of us got dismissed, and um, you were there. I was like, there for several hours. Yeah, 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 most of the day, and um. Then they just decided like they weren't getting calls from the courtroom or whatever and, mm-hmm. and didn't need anybody. So
2: there we go. I have an update on my okay jury. I got a letter in the mail. Yeah, and they said, "Hey, it, well, the thing I heard about being like the first alternate called, mm-hmm. I kind of was. Oh, I don't know if that's true uh-huh. that it's in order." And the letter said, "You were the first. Okay, so you will be the first called." So I'm.
3: So, you have to get ready.
2: I'm virtually guaranteed
3: at some point to to be on this
2: grand jury. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. Very exciting stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, I won't be able to talk about what we do, Mm -hmm. but maybe the process. Wink,
3: wink. No.
2: No, that's another thing they guilted wink, us over. Wink,
3: wink. <laughs> Did you raise your hand when they were telling you you can't talk about it and say, um, are the rules different when you have a podcast, <laughs> yeah, though?
2: Yeah. We live in L.A., <laughs> everybody has a podcast. What
3: about the podcast audience? Are they kind of an extension of So is of my the constitutional
2: duty <laughs> and loyalty, mm-hmm. does that supersede Mm. the loyalty that i have to my audience yeah you know the
3: podcasting wasn't around then so the
2: founders couldn't have taken into account that i would have this important thing that i do they couldn't in a podcast
3: and they didn't so i guess there needs to be an adjustment i can
2: extrapolate from that that what they intended Mm. for me is Mm -hmm. to be able to talk to my my beautiful audience out there i'm convinced in the world yeah yeah Speaking of beautiful beautiful audiences in the world, that is a beautiful transition <laughs> wow. right there. Uh, we do have some listener communication. We do. And we're going to get to that.
3: Yeah, I have several long messages to read. So hang in there, everybody.
2: <laughs> I'll get my pen ready for the editing.
3: Yeah. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. This is from Jack from Sacramento. I'm writing to give a short, personal, and anecdotal counter to Fucker Carlson's asinine comments <laughs> and rhetoric toward diversity. First, a little background about me. I'm just a white dude who was born in Orange County, California, and who comes from a very full military family. My father retired from the Marine Corps. Oorah. And <laughs> on my first... I thought Jesse would respond to that, but why would you respond to it when people do that to you in public and you don't respond to that? Okay. Uh, Continuing on the email, on my first birthday, but eventually came back to work for the government as a GS employee at Tustin or El Toro. Can't remember fully. I'm pretty young. I was pretty young. (laughs) I was pretty young. (laughs) I was (laughs) pretty young.
2: All of that is (laughs) (laughs)
3: staying. Working on the Huey 53s. Don't know what that means. It's a helicopter. Okay. I gave that small background to explain why when I was four years old, we PSC'd, we P.C.S. would
2: personal uh, station change to personal change of station
3: to Okinawa, Japan, where I lived, grew up, went to school and discovered myself over the next 13 years. I spent all of my formative years there from grades one through twelve. Although for many of the years we lived on the American bases, we also lived about half the time out in town, enveloped by the culture. It shaped completely who I became and the values that I hold close. Almost all of those values and experiences came from the diversity that I was surrounded by and experienced by not only living in another country, but also the diversity that is inherent in military communities, at least overseas. I can't speak to military communities in the States, It challenged me, it confronted me, and it allowed me to understand not only different perspectives, but completely different lives and cultures. Some of my best memories in Japan are as a young Boy Scout co-hosting Jamborees with the Japanese Scouting Troops. Most people couldn't speak the other's language, but somehow we were able to figure things out. We traded, we set up camps, we told stories, and we created years-long bonds. I created friendships from not only all over the world, from traveling, but also all over America, since our military community was also incredibly diverse. People from literally all different types of backgrounds, ethnically, culturally, and geographically. Somehow, we not only made it work, we all thrived in that environment. That's why whenever I hear people say diversity isn't a strength, I can't help but laugh and give them a side eye. Diversity was our greatest strength. I couldn't imagine growing up any other way. It got to a point where outside of my family, I almost got uncomfortable being around a group of only white people. And I'm a white people. It wasn't some sort of self-racial hatred, just the fact that I was never in that type of situation for most of my life and it would feel off. I always think about the people I grew up with on that military base. And I think if you had gone up to my group of friends 10 years ago and told us what Tucker said, we would have laughed you out of the room. Well, there's way more I want to say in relation to this, but I'm about four beers in and my thought process is getting a little fuzzy. All I know is that diversity is nothing to be scared of and an absolutely vital part of being a well-rounded person and anyone that is afraid of it or of the changing surrounding demographics needs to look inside themselves and ask why. They're so hesitant. I love that you two facilitate these conversations in an open, frank, and honest manner. You both bring a unique and vital voice to what can sometimes be a maelstrom of dumbness online. And while I don't always agree, I always appreciate. Keep being amazing, and uh, we're all the best part. Thank you. Go Packers.
2: I'm okay with that. Go Packers. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a Packers fan.
6: Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're
2: getting sidetracked here already. Yeah. Uh, it, it is one of the things that when, uh, Tucker Carlson said it, it, it stuck with me there. And that was the, in his rant about diversity, he said, what about marriage in the military? Are you saying it's, it's it, it, blah, blah, blah. You, you, you want less in common? I mean, he's, he's creating a straw man that doesn't exist in argument. Um, but the military is exceedingly diverse, even base housing I don't know if they if if this is true or just something that went around and talked about, but they engineered base how like you couldn't go and request I want to live on this street and that's there, there's an empty house there I want to go live there like let's say that you know because you have a family and you're friends with this black family and you're a black family and you they didn't want. It to to like self segregate kind of a thing because oh I know this, these people and they're friends with me and I want them they didn't do that they they made a point to make sure that it was a um, a rich tapestry kind of built in mm-hmm. I mean I think the your chief your chief races uh, in the military are, are white black and and brown you know uh, Hispanic and it's the military is very, very, very diverse racially, very, very, very diverse ethnically, um, and it was just a stupid thing to say, as evidenced by, by Jack's email. Right. Even growing up as a kid, yeah, surrounded by uh, that culture, the military culture, mm-hmm. it if that diversity even bled through to his childhood experience. Yeah. Um. But I, I, I like it. I like the testament that. Diversity is absolutely, without equivocation, Mm -hmm. a strength. Now, as far as Jack not always agreeing, well, fuck that guy, you know. (laughs) We're always right, so. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Um... Also, we want to thank Jack, because in addition to being a Patreon supporter, he actually sent us an additional donation on PayPal this weekend. Oh, yeah. That's the same Jack. Yeah. Yeah. He said, even though I'm a Patreon supporter, my beer fingers are wanting me to give more, so here's a little more.
2: I loves me some Jack beer fingers.
3: We really appreciate those beer fingers. Thank you so much, sir. What's next? Uh, Well, we have a correction, because sometimes you're wrong on the show. (laughs) In, in
2: direct in direct opposition to what I just said, apparently.
3: Yes. Well, you were talking about me, so now we're talking about you. Uh, this is from Michael. Hello. Just want to make a correction. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Hello. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Puerto Rico's death toll from Maria was two thousand nine hundred and seventy-five. And nine eleven had two thousand nine hundred and ninety-six casualties. This makes it 21 more deaths from 9-11, not two. To be clear, this does not take away anything as the death toll is still astronomically high. Trump blaming Democrats for the death toll is some next level jackassery.
2: Yes, from that, Michael. Is, that is true. Um, I, I. This all, is in
3: reference to numbers that you referenced that's right. on a previous episode. I,
2: I said that the, the, the death toll in Puerto Rico was uh, 2,975, which is what Michael just said. And then I said the 9-11 death toll was 2,977. And the reason I said 2,977 and not 2,996 is because I did not include the 19 fucking asswipes that caused the death toll. I didn't include the hijackers, which would be his numbers 19 higher than mine, and fuck them. I'm not going to honor them by counting them in the death toll. Anyway, that's that's why. So he's he's correct that there were that many deaths, but I'm not going to give them the credence of being included in the the number that I was talking about from a sorrow standpoint. Mm -hmm. I have no sorrow that they're dead. I only am sorrow. I have sorrow that they brought that many other human beings with them when they killed themselves.
3: So thank you, Michael for the yeah, yeah. correction, no, he's right. and um, I have another...
2: He's right, but it wasn't a mistake on my part. I, I, No, no, I'm not backing up like, oh, I'm never wrong. Everybody knows I'm wrong all the goddamn time. Yeah, we're all wrong. But that was a choice I made, that number. Okay. But thanks, Michael.
3: This next message is from Josh, and it is also quite long, so here we go. Thank you guys for torturing me. <laughs> Hey, guys.
2: You're killing it so far.
3: I wanted to circle back to the New York Times anonymous op-ed discussion from episode 445. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my takeaway is that you're both of the opinion that the actions described in the op-ed must cease. The reasons for that Opinion are certainly valid, in particular that it undermines our democracy and that this anonymous individual is not our elected official. I think this is a perfect case study of utilitarianism. Does the end justify the means? And despite my own dismay at having this opinion, I support the op-ed author you discussed the procedural need for invoking the 25th Amendment. Of course, I agree with that in theory, but my assumption is that the op-ed writer realizes a certain powerlessness with actually carrying that out successfully, particularly in this age of a willfully blind Republican Party. We don't know how many inside the cabinet hold the same opinion, nor to what extent this person is actually interfering with the president's agenda. Furthermore, my understanding of the 25th Amendment only affords consideration of removal in the event of death or incapacitation. We are dealing with an entirely different issue here of amorality and simple idiocy with a president who makes decisions at a grade school level of thinking. If you think my interpretation is wrong please correct me. I would also ask you to keep this in mind as you consider what we do know about Trump's psyche, just how senseless and chaotic some of Trump's orders or considerations might be inside the White House that never make the light of day. I believe it was Jim Mattis who made the comment, quote, we are trying to prevent World War III. Allow yourself the possibility to consider for a moment that he isn't exaggerating. Do we not draw the line somewhere? Do we simply stand by and let things run their course no matter how far he takes things or disregards consequences because he saw something on Fox and Friends or woke up in a bad mood? Trump has simply demonstrated a pattern of unwillingness or inability to execute anything resembling high-level thinking. And when is more at stake in this country than when the President of the United States makes decisions? Meanwhile, Republicans have clearly demonstrated that they will not speak or act unduly toward Trump, so we can't depend on Congress to keep things measured. I like to think the op-ed writer is using reasonable discretion in how much she or he is interfering with Trump's will. I really do respect the rule of law, having come from a criminal justice background. I
2: feel a butt coming on.
3: But, (laughs) my God, are these unprecedented times. Surely some semblance of unprecedented measures are called for. Imagine where we might be if the cabinet were full of like-minded individuals as Trump, or yes-man loyalists Trump so so highly regards. I fear thinking about that too much. Would love to hear your counter to this. Thanks for your time, Josh.
2: Well, Josh, it sounds like you're A-OK with a coup as long as it's against the guy you don't like, and I don't feel that way. I do believe Trump is dangerous. I don't disagree with anything you've said about Donald Trump and what he's capable of. However, in this situation with this this anonymous op-ed writer, what I said was, Staff of the president, aides of the president, don't get to say, I agree with this portion of the president's agenda, and I will try to enact that. This other thing, I don't agree with, so not only am I not going to enact it, I'm going to work against it to thwart the agenda of the president of the United States. Imagine if this was Obama and Obamacare. And there was a large faction.
3: Like taking papers off President Obama's desk. Yeah,
2: working against the agenda of the duly elected president of the United States. I think we should all be a little bit forward looking because Donald Trump's not going to be here forever. Maybe in the very short term he's not going to be here. And we don't want the way things that are being done in the White House right now to become the norm. You don't get to decide. So what I said was, and I stand by what I said, Trump is either fit to serve, and if he is, let him do his agenda, and if he's not, and if he's so not fit that, th- that, that people need to work against him within his own administration, on his own team.
3: So we don't all die.
2: Right. If he's If he's that not fit, then he needs to be fucking removed. So... And it, it is it's it, just that it's that easy. It
3: is either one or the other, it seems like. I mean, if this person is so worried that they can't yes. even put their name on it and they are taking papers off his desk and there's people that are trying to undermine what he's doing because they're afraid of World War 3. Yeah. Then this seems really serious. Yes. So w- why don't you do more than write an anonymous op-ed? Well,
2: let me also say this. It seems Serious enough that those other agenda items that they're so concerned with, which I assume would be taxes and dismantling healthcare in this country. Right. If if it's so serious that we're trying to avoid fucking World War Three, the tax cuts aren't that important. <laughs> you know what I mean? If his
3: tax it, cuts it, aren't super
2: important yeah, when you're dead. It, it seems that the, that World War Three would mean mm-hmm. that his unfitness for the position outweighs mm-hmm. Any possible benefit or his fitness for the position. Mm -hmm. So I guess this will just uh, this is where we depart. We we part ways, Josh, uh, uh, about how we think about this. While I'm glad, you know, casually I'm glad there's people in there who are fighting against Donald Trump and throwing up roadblocks and creating an obstacle course toward progress for him. That's great. That's my casual like. "Eh, At least there's somebody in there fucking fucking shit up. But we're talking about we're talking about constitutional looking forward as our republic is not just a blip on the radar, but something that's going to stand the test of time. We don't need random unelected donkey dicks in there fucking with the president who's been elected by tens of millions of people.
3: Or even, I mean, so we're giving a lot of credit to this anonymous person that they have a moral compass that is identical to Josh's. Yeah, that this no, that's person, true too. Yeah. That this person is approaching issues and saying, okay, A-okay on this one. Wait a minute. No, we're going to have to figure out a way to block this one. Oh, okay, yeah, that one's good. Okay, no, we got to put a lock on this. And we don't know who this person is. That's, that's... We don't know what their views are. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're advocating. We don't know what they're trying to prevent.
2: That in and of itself is the problem because they haven't been vetted by the people and elected in an election.
3: And so my issue is is that ultimately we just don't know we don't have enough information to really make a decision on this yeah um and so if i have a position it's that this person should come out and say what their name is and give us more information yeah that would be that that would be my ultimate (laughs) my ultimate position right also they claim there's more of them in there so they could sacrifice themselves put their name on it uh, make the claim more reputable yeah. and there's still people in there right that are that are making good choices
2: that's what they claim and mm-hmm. i why would they not be telling the truth mm-hmm. if they're actually risking their job and this is all on the up and up yeah so thank you again listen, we love the pushback we love the dissent not a, not a problem mm-hmm. uh, it's all part of the conversation speaking of part of the conversation we'd love to hear from you as well 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit Patreon.com/slash I doubt it with Dollamore.
3: Is that just my headphones, or does that sound like he's talking into a Campbell's soup can?
2: It does sound like he's talking into, uh, like he's he's trapped inside of a, a fifty-five gal- gallon barrel or mm-hmm. drum.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe not. I don't know. Okay, well, let us know. So, um... oh, speaking of that, it's because we're not in studio right now.
3: Yes. Yeah. The, the,
2: the, the fucking AC mm-hmm. in this nice new building. Apparently, they got secondhand AC and it's on the fritz again. So we were are back mm-hmm. in the original digs, and uh, we might just stay here. We don't know.
3: Yeah, we posted a photo of it on Facebook. So go like the Facebook page. I doubt it with Dollamore podcast. Follow all of us on Instagram and Twitter at Dollamore at Brittany E Page at I Doubt It Podcast. And aside from that, let's get back to the Patreon supporters. Yes. Very Very important. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a new Patreon supporter. Well, I just
2: I got pissed off about okay. the AC. Yeah. I fly into a rage.
3: We have a new Patreon supporter, Al. Al. And we have Meg, who increased her pledge.
2: Meg. Beautiful. So, Meg. Uh,
3: tomorrow, the 9th, Wednesday, I'm going to be sending out the final... I believe
2: you mean the 19th. Isn't that what I said? You said the 9th
3: the 19th
2: time machine
3: okay and so i'm gonna be sending out the final patreon message to invite everyone to send in their questions for the ask me anything episode yes again we've been getting great questions very creative fantastic some of them have been about donald trump (laughs) um which is totally fine if that's what you guys want to hear us talk about on the bonus episode that's that's what we'll do um it
2: is your episode episode yes episode Episode.
3: correct so anyway we appreciate all of you thank you so much for your support and helping us do what we do
2: you guys are the best y'all you like the y'all should i keep keep the y'all going i didn't
3: like any of that
6: (laughs) please stop
2: Democracy. facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right, well, all kinds of stuff has gone on this week, as with any week, I guess. <laughs> and uh, we're going to start with the fact that major, major news that you've probably heard about for a day or two, and then it went away because it involves the Mueller team. Mm-hmm. And there's no leaks. That Paul Manafort, that his second trial was supposed to start this week, and as in contravention of that, he has pled guilty and not only pled guilty to that to those charges because, after having been convicted of eight of eighteen charges in the mm-hmm. in the Virginia trial, the D.C. trial was going to start. Uh, I think you know he saw the writing on the wall and decided to plead guilty, and then also, it was announced that he is. Uh, cooperating mm-hmm. with the Mueller team.
4: Right now, Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's former campaign chairman, is in a federal courtroom pleading guilty to two counts of conspiracy. In return, he will avoid the trial. Yes, this is his second trial that was due to start Monday, less than a month after his first trial ended with him being convicted on eight counts. So what is happening in court right now? What does this deal mean? Does this deal now mean that he is cooperating in some way, shape, or form with Robert Mueller's team? Let's find out. Zina Shimon Prokopez is following all of these developments at this moment. Shimon, what's happening right now? a uh,
0: Major, major development here, Kate. Okay? We're learning just moments ago that Paul Manafort has agreed, has agreed to cooperate with the oh, wow. Justice Department, he is uh, the prosecutor there, Andrew Weissman, told a judge moments ago in court that his plea agreement, Paul Manafort's plea agreement, is a cooperation agreement and the other charges they will drop at the sentencing or at the agreement of successful cooperation. So here, Kate, obviously a stunning development. This is the answer that we've been looking for uh, to a question of whether or not this agreement, whether or not this plea uh, wouldn't mean Paul Manafort would cooperate. And here we have it just moments ago. Uh, obviously, uh, what that agreement entails, we don't know. The government did tell the judge that Paul Manafort proffered. He gave information to the government already. Uh, We believe that that had occurred in the last few days. So certainly a major development here in this investigation, Kate. Uh, We now have word from the court, from the government, that Paul Manafort is cooperating uh, in this investigation.
4: This is huge news, and this has been the major question all along, Shimon, right? If there was a plea deal, what was the, if it came before the first trial or after the first trial, before the second trial, this, say it one more time. Uh, Evan Perez, Shimon, hold on one second. I'm going to go to Evan Perez. He's outside the courtroom. Let's go to Evan right now. Evan, you were inside. What can you tell us about what's happening right now?
7: That's right, Kay. Just a minute ago, uh, prosecutor Andrew Weissman announced in court that there is a cooperation agreement with Paul Manafort. Now, we don't know the details yet of what exactly that cooperation agreement is. Uh, is what what the terms of it uh, is, but he did uh, mention it just as he was uh, as explaining what Paul Manafort is pleading guilty to. Now that's a, a bit of a surprise because it was a bit uh, it was a big question, obviously, uh, that everybody had uh, as a result of this plea agreement was whether or not there was an ongoing cooperation agreement. And it appears from what we've just learned that there is a cooperation agreement now. What this entails uh, is obviously the big question now. We had talked to President Trump's uh, legal team in the last couple of days as these talks had intensified. And they expressed confidence that uh, whatever, if if there was a a cooperation agreement, they were confident that this did not involve any cooperation against the president. So uh, there are other people, obviously, that are part of this investigation. We know that there are people who are charged, including people in Russia who are charged in uh, the uh, special counsel investigation. Uh, so it may well be that Paul Manafort is is going to provide information uh, about those people who he was in business with over the last few years, obviously. So, again, uh, a lot of details yet to, to come out. But this was a bit of a surprise uh, in court.
3: So, you know, Donald Trump tweeted about Paul Manafort after uh, Michael Cohen flipped.
7: That's right. When Michael
3: Cohen began cooperating with Robert Mueller and the investigation. Kind of rubbing
2: his back, giving him some little handy action. Whispering sweet nothings in his ear. Not to Cohen, but to Manafort. Talking about what a wonderful human being he is, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, you must be seeing a tweet that I didn't see. Because that (laughs) that has a lot of added uh, variables in there. But...
2: Yes, I have an active imagination. I
3: Basically, guess. talking about how Manafort is a different kind of character because he's not doing this whole flipping thing, which should be yeah. illegal, right? Uh, which should be illegal <laughs> according to Donald Trump. But not only is Paul Manafort cooperating with the Mueller investigation now, but there's also been this talk of will Donald Trump pardon Manafort? Mm-hmm. Right? People have been talking about that, and. They're actually reporting on this today in Politico that Robert Mueller's plea agreement with Paul Manafort has certain steps, uh, safeguards in place to actually undercut Donald Trump and his ability to pardon uh, Paul Manafort. So the plea deal Mueller struck with Manafort contains several provisions that appear intended to discourage the former Trump aide from seeking a pardon and to rein in the impact of any pardon Trump might grant. Legal experts with sweeping views of executive power and attorneys who advocate for broad use of clemency criticized what they call an effort by Mueller's team to tie the president's hands. Quote, What is most concerning to me is that Mr. Mueller, who is a part of the executive branch and is supposed to follow all DOJ's policies and procedures, is specifically seeking to impede the ability of the president to exercise his constitutional pardon authority. This is according to David Rivkin, a Justice Department official under Presidents Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush.
2: Shocker that he's a Republican whining about this.
3: So this is interesting, though, that as a part of the plea agreement, Mueller is putting something in the deal yeah. that is decentivizing this pardon, this possible pardon. It's sending a message.
2: Well, it's all... Uh, listen, I... It, this is where a lot of people were very worried. What is happening here? Um, he, he, all he's going to do is, is get in there and eventually get a pardon. Maybe he's signaling to Trump that, hey, listen, fucker, you do this, you, you better pardon me, otherwise this is going to get all blown up. Um, Robert Mueller's not that stupid. Robert Mueller is a seasoned veteran of the FBI and the Department of Justice. He understands, and he has a very experienced... Professional team of lawyers. And I I throw professional in there because this isn't a witch hunt. This isn't, they're gonna go where the facts lead them. They're gonna go where the prosecutable crimes lead them. They're not acting out of political malice. Mm -hmm. I say that professionally, but also the fact that there's experience here. And if there's a way to to add um weight to the government's case. Right. And add likelihood to a conviction, mm-hmm. they're going to throw that in there. They're going to do that as part of the deal, and that would be some, you know... Taking disin- the wind out of the sails. Disincentivizing Donald Trump to pardon. As far as what the Rifkin, or whatever that person's name was who said that, yeah, it, it is, listen to what they're saying. They're saying, listen, it is unconscionable that Robert Mueller would try to make it so Donald Trump Can't
3: exercise.
2: Yeah. Can't pardon someone related to an investigation about him. (laughs) Why is Robert Mueller trying to make it so Donald Trump can't obstruct justice easier?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: That's what they're saying. And there's so little shame. Mm-hmm. or sense of fucking irony with this Republican Party anymore. Yeah. that They don't even, like, couch it in different language. They just <laughs> say it. Yeah. Well, <laughs>
3: well, and just to give a little bit more context to the taking the wind out of the sails, the 17-page document doesn't explicitly prohibit Manafort from seeking a pardon, but some lawyers said that it appears to extract a promise from Manafort not to seek another form of executive clemency that could relieve him of the obligation to turn over property Property worth tens of millions of dollars to the government as a part of a plea bargain. Uh, The agreement also says prosecutors can come after the five identified homes or apartments, three bank accounts and a life insurance policy now or at any point in the future, quote, without regard to the status of his criminal conviction. Mm -hmm. And then another part of the plea plea deal says that if Manafort's guilty pleas or convictions are wiped out for any reason, Prosecutors immediately have the right to charge him with any other crimes he may have committed previously or confessed to during the recent plea nego- negotiations. Yeah.
2: Um, here's the other thing is that if you commit federal crime, it's likely in many cases that you've commit, committed state crimes, crimes that could be convicted by a state uh, I- any one of a number, one of 50 states attorneys general. And uh, that is likely an avenue as well. That if he cooperates, that they'll, you know, grease the palms or I don't know if they could write this in there. Uh, I don't know how above board it would be. But, you know, convince or cajole uh, a state attorney general to not seek a prosecution. Because, oh, and I guess the other side of that is a state prosecution... That Donald Trump cannot pardon. Mm -hmm. He has no power Mm -hmm. to pardon a state conviction, only a federal conviction.
3: Yeah. Well, and just like anything else, some people are saying this is an overreach. And some people are saying, no, this isn't atypical for what normally happens. Yeah. So... You have people that are divided on what the optics of this you are. You mean
2: Republicans, are they, they don't think it's good, and then Democrats think it's great.
3: No, I think these attorneys are free of bias <laughs> and just giving their um, expert opinion yeah. based on their education and knowledge, um, yes. <laughs> which is completely removed from the personal bias that they have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct.
2: Well, speaking of Donald Trump interfering... The other thing that's happening right now is Donald Trump is getting ready to declassify a bunch of documents in that, that are directly related to the Russia probe, which is another step, another move of politicizing this thing and not letting the investigation go forth unimpeded, unhindered uh, by his involvement.
5: Breaking news in the Russia investigation. The White House just announced that President Trump is asking the Director of National Intelligence and the Department of Justice, including the FBI to release unredacted classified documents and text messages related to the start of the Russia investigation. Our justice correspondent, Evan Perez, is here. Uh, Evan, pretty sensitive material that uh, the president is now declassifying, which is his right. He can declassify right. whatever he wants. But it's interesting. He says on the FISA court application to go after Carter Page, he only wants pages 10 through 12 to be released, pages 17 through 34 to be released, this is the June 2017 application to the FISA court. Uh, and I'm sure critics will start saying, what about pages one through nine or pages <laughs> 13 through right. 16? Is he selectively only releasing information
7: that seems to be useful to him? Well, I think uh, the president and some of his allies in Congress have a purpose here. Look, I think the, 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 the their argument is that this entire investigation, the Mueller investigation, the Russia investigation is the fruit of a poisonous tree. This is something that they believe began under nefarious circumstances that the FBI committed wrongdoing in beginning this investigation and they believe that these pages, uh, I think a lot of this relates to what's known as the Woods file uh, in the uh, FISA investig- uh, FISA application. so when when the uh, FBI prepares this application for the court, they prepare a, a file of, of material to support why they believe this should be should be uh, should be approved by the by the FISA court judges. And so a lot of this has to do with the underlying explanation from the FBI as to why they believe that Carter Page was acting as an agent of a foreign power in this case Russia. So that's what the president is going after here, that's what his allies ha- have been selectively leaking some of this stuff. Uh, you know, keep in mind, members of Congress have already seen a lot of this. They already have some of this So they've been selectively leaking some of this to conservative media trying to get the president, you know, ginned up to to make sure he did exactly this. And now they've gotten what they want. Listen.
2: Context matters, especially in intelligence, in matters of intelligence. Context is important. So if Donald Trump wants to declassify only pages 10, 10, 11 and 12, And then 17 through 34, there's a reason for that because it's going to take away context that even if he was to release the entire, declassify the entire FISA warrant or the documents uh, supporting the acquisition of that warrant, Mm -hmm. even if he was to to release the entire goddamn thing, it doesn't give you the full context. You need all of the supporting documents. Sometimes you need other documents that the supporting documents uh, rely upon in order to get the full, entire context of the situation. They know that, and that's why he's only declassifying or requesting uh, or ordering to declassify these particular pages. Mm -hmm. It's because the other ones, they either don't back up his story or uh, they directly um, take away from his narrative.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. That's a problem. Because yeah. that's, that's obviously, he's not seeking truth. He's not seeking honesty and earnestness in his, look, I just want all the cards on the table. I just want the American people to be able to have the facts. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then you would release pages 1 through 9, 13 through 16.
3: But even aside from that, isn't this something that he just shouldn't be involved in? Yes. Because this is an investigation that involves his... Uh, campaign.
2: Right, and there's already been convictions of people on his campaign, related to his campaign, advisors, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, Papadopoulos, all these people.
3: Yeah, so it just seems like it's not his role yes. to be doing anything with this investigation. It, it,
2: it certainly flies in the face of of the spirit of an independent uh investigation an independent judiciary
3: yeah before the results are are released before robert muller's report is released he's trying to preemptively get information out there that exonerates him yeah saying hey guys look read these
2: (laughs) it's not me it's them because if there's nothing to convict on there won't be a conviction Mm
1: -hmm. mm-hmm
2: I've said that from the beginning. Let this thing play out. Be happy that we don't have all the details from the Mueller investigation and the fact that they're keeping their fucking mouths closed. That's a good thing. And if it comes back and Robert Mueller says, yeah, you know what? Nothing there. There was no collusion. Mm -hmm. Then then we need to believe that because he is an honorable man who's going to do the right thing. I may disagree with him on policy, but as a prosecutor, especially at this high level, He's not going to be playing fast and loose. He's going to be playing by the books, playing by the rules. So that is happening, and we wanted to keep you up to date on that. The other thing that is happening right now is the the Brett Kavanaugh, the Bart O'Kavanaugh nomination for <laughs> Supreme Court, uh, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. And two days ago, it broke in a morning. Well, there was a... Uh, more than, Longer than that ago, we learned that there was a... Uh, an allegation of sexual abuse or sexual misconduct going back to when Bart (laughs) O'Kavanaugh... I don't think everybody's in on the joke, but Mm -hmm. uh, back to when he was in high school.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, 17 years old. And now it it has been revealed that this woman has a name. Mm -hmm. Well, we always knew she had a name, but Mm -hmm. now her name is public. And there's even a letter that she wrote to her congressperson which ended up in the hands of Dianne Feinstein. And this is the letter she wrote, not in her words, not in her voice, but this is uh, the letter.
6: We are following breaking news concerning Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. The woman accusing him of sexual assault when the two were both in high school has come forward. Her name is Christine Blasey Ford and we now have the letter she sent to Senator Dianne Feinstein. And I'm going to read it in its entirety, some names and places have been redacted uh, where I indicate it. Let me begin. Senator Dianne Feinstein, Dear Senator Feinstein, I am writing with information relevant and in evaluating the current nominee to the Supreme Court. As a constituent, I expect that you will maintain this as confidential until we have further opportunity to speak. Brett Kavanaugh physically and sexually assaulted me during high school in the early 1980s. He conducted these acts with the assistance of Redacted. Both were one or two years older than me and students at a local private school. The assault occurred in a suburban Maryland area home at a gathering that included me and four others. Kavanaugh physically pushed me into a bedroom as I was headed for a bathroom up a short stairwell from the living room. They locked the door and played loud music precluding any successful attempt to yell for help. Kavanaugh was on top of me while laughing with Redacted, who periodically jumped onto Kavanaugh. They both laughed as Kavanaugh tried to disrobe me in their highly inebriated state. With Kavanaugh's hand over my mouth, I feared he may inadvertently kill me. From across the room, a very drunken Redacted said mixed words to Kavanaugh, ranging from, go for it, to stop. At one point, when Redacted jumped onto the bed, the weight on me was substantial. The pile toppled, and the two scrapped with each other. After a few attempts to get away, I was able to take this opportune moment to get up and run across to a hallway bathroom. I locked the bathroom door behind me. Both loudly stumbled down the stairwell, at which point other persons at the house were talking with them. I exited the bathroom, ran outside of the house, and went home. I have not knowingly seen Kavanaugh since the assault. I did see Redacted once at the Redacted where he was extremely uncomfortable seeing me. I have received medical treatment regarding the assault. On July 6th, I notified my local government representative to ask them how to proceed with sharing this information. It is upsetting to discuss sexual assault and its repercussions, yet I felt guilty and compelled as a citizen about the idea of not saying anything. I am available to speak further should you wish to discuss. I am currently redacted and will be in redacted, in confidence, redacted. Now, important to note, Brett Kavanaugh has unequivocally and categorically denied the allegations made in this letter. And the White House says they are standing by their Supreme Court nominee. So
3: she came to or she wrote this letter and sent it to diane feinstein i believe in july and diane feinstein sat on this letter and didn't do anything with it until there started being whispers in washington that this letter existed and that something was going on yeah and i believe the intercept reported on it and that kind of got the fires going as well and so uh diane feinstein's democratic colleagues came to her and said what's this letter So she called a meeting and didn't show it to them, but told them what it said. And then that uh, that put pressure on the victim, in this case, to come forward because everyone was after her. They were like showing up at her um, school where she teaches and outside her classes, there were journalists, journalists outside her house. So they had already figured out who she was.
2: Yeah. Well, there are people who are criticizing diane feinstein's handling of this even this thing even within progressive circles Mm -hmm. this this next clip is zerlina maxwell um who i think is a very stand-up individual um also if anybody knows zerlina let her know that there's a certain podcast that would be great on sirius xm since she's the vice president of programming of progressive programming for Sirius XM. <laughs> but she was on with Joy uh, AM, Joy Reed, and they talked about it, and she has criticisms for Diane Feinstein uh, over her handling of this letter. I'm fairly confident that our founding That is not Zerlina
8: fathers did not intend the process <laughs> to work this way. Uh, so far... It's pretty much been an intergalactic freak show. Senator Feinstein's had the letter since July for three months. She said nothing, nothing, zero, nada, zilch. She didn't say anything in the confirmation hearing. She didn't say anything in our our confidential session with Judge Kavanaugh when the senators and the nominee met privately. And now, after it's all over, she produces the letter.
4: An accusation of sexual misconduct against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh could be a turning point in the battle over his nomination. Kavanaugh has denied the accusation. Well, now Republicans are questioning the timing of the allegation being made public. Join me now. Tiffany Cross of the Beat DC, Zerlina Maxwell, Sirius XM Director of Progressive Programming, and Washington Post columnist Dana Milbank. I want to start just on that point because whatever else you think of the Republican argument for, for ramming through this nomination, no matter what, Zerlina, there is something to the argument that Senator Feinstein Had this report in July, we even had uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters on earlier, and even she said, if you had it and you're not going to put it out, it's no good to anyone. Right. And she didn't even share it with the fellow Democrats on the committee and let them decide whether it was something worth questioning him on. It illustrates just... Um, how much has not changed since 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, and previously, Anita Hill, uh,
3: during the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings, right? You you had a moment in 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 that controversy where you felt like the country was moving forward on the issue of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And I am disappointed in Senator Feinstein. In the Me Too era, mm-hmm. you're going to have to do better when yeah. it comes to serious allegations of sexual misconduct. And that includes informing the other Democrats in the committee um, that this letter exists. And the allegations, Joy, are, actually serious, right? He's um, being accused of sexual misconduct and holding someone down against their will. um, And she thankfully got away. But it's not something that should be shrugged off as very minor and insignificant. And And so this woman, her name is Christine Ford. Yeah. And she's going to be testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee, as is Brett Kavanaugh again on this issue on Monday. Uh, he vehemently denies that this is the case. And in the letter that you heard there, uh, even though it was redacted, there was another party in the room, according to Christine
2: Ford. Yeah, one of the names, the one of the redacted names, or the only other name, right. is Mark Judge.
3: Mark Judge. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy wrote a memoir. He's written two memoirs. Okay.
2: Very important. Two memoirs for a guy you've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: and... First, I should say, uh, in addition to Brett Kavanaugh vehemently denying this, Mark Judge also denies this. He said that he uh, never saw sexual assault and that that kind of behavior would be wildly out of character.
2: What would you expect a guy who, who is implicated in a crime? Even in high school. Mm-hmm. What would you expect a guy to say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched that go down. I jumped on the pile trying to get in on that attempted rape action. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's not going to. Of course, he's going to deny it. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
3: In two memoirs, he actually depicted high school as... Um,
2: Kind of a drunken fuck party.
3: Yeah. I mean, he said that students attended, quote, masturbation class and, quote, lusted after girls and, like, drank themselves into stupors. So.
2: They went to a rich kid school in Washington, D.C. Yeah.
3: I mean, he's saying that this this would be wildly out of character. But, like, which part? Because you are kind of painting this picture of high school as, like, a drunken, let's chase after girls. Yeah. Fun time for you. The, the, so. other, the other
2: thing he did was try to, and this gets to the Bart O'Kavanaugh joke that, that
3: you kept trying that to. I kept, no one knows make what happen I'm talking when about. We haven't talked about it Is yet. Is
2: Mark Judge? He kind of like changed names to protect the innocent, kind of a thing. But he writes about a classmate named Bart O'Kavanaugh,
3: uh-huh. <laughs> who well, passes out drunk and throws up in a car.
2: Yeah. So. So are we to believe that's not Brett Kavanaugh? It's just, no, that's Bart O. hmm Yeah. That's Desi Jollimore.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: you know? Yeah. Well, come on. Yeah. We're all reasonable people.
3: You just put an O in it and make it an Irish name. It's
2: totally, totally different. Yeah. Person. And
3: you use the same letter of the first yeah. name.
2: Actually, the guy in my book, Bart O'Kavanaugh, he's a Chinese gentleman. So I don't know what you're talking about. It's not Brett Kavanaugh. It's Bart O'Kavanaugh. Totally different. Yeah, he should have done a better job there. <laughs> no kidding.
3: Also, in his, this Mark Judge guy, in his yearbook, there's like a page where he, you know, in your yearbook when you're a senior, you can choose like a quote. And one of the quotes that he chose was.
2: Make money, get bitches.
3: Quote, certain women <laughs> should be struck regularly like gongs.
2: Are you kidding me? No. No. Wow! All my shitty jokes aside, that's 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 a jokey kind of a like someone would make a joke, like me, a dumb joke, thinking that it would be too extreme, mm-hmm. and he actually said that.
3: Yeah, well, it was the 80s, and uh, we all know how things were so different in the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, That's kind of the, the argument that people are making when they're defending Brett Kavanaugh. So there's various defenses that you're hearing now. Um, he was young. Oh, he was so young, 17 years yeah. old. <laughs> um, he Should our lives be ruined by things that we did when we were 17? Th- yeah, some people's lives are ruined by things that they do when they're
4: Absolutely.
2: 17.
3: Okay? And if you're trying to ask, rape
2: somebody... Ask the thousands of marijuana convictions of young black men in America of what, what they did when they were 17. Yeah. If their lives were fucking ruined.
3: And listen, covering a girl's mouth and trying to take off her bathing suit while she's screaming uh that's kind of different behavior than like being a dick when you're a teenager yes you know yeah yes there are things that all of us did when we were teenagers that we wish we could take back <laughs> believe me i could write very lengthy post about all the stupid things that i did for sure but uh, this is something completely different than like a oh ha i made a little mistake look what i did guys no, this is like putting your hand over someone's mouth while they're screaming and trying to rape them. That's 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 a completely different thing.
2: There are, there's two angles to this that really, really stick in my craw. You know, my very substantial craw. Mm-hmm. One is that, which is the is there is his life going to be ruined? Uh, well, one, he's fine. It, No, his life's not going to be ruined. But did someone who did something like this, do they deserve a seat on the Supreme Court of the United States of America? The answer unequivocally is fuck no. No, he doesn't deserve it if he did that. Mm -hmm. The other thing is this kind of boys will be boys. Oh, that's just that's just high school kids. Let me tell you how many women I attempted to rape in high school. It's, as Senator Kennedy on the the clip you heard there with the fucking voice, zilch, zil, nada, none, nada, zilch, zero, none. There wasn't a single woman in my entirety of my life that I've attempted to rape, that I've put my hand over their mouth to quiet them while I grinded on them and tried to take their clothes off. If that's what he did he does not deserve a seat on the highest court in the le- a lifetime appointment
3: also what do these people do? these people think that teenagers don't read the news that teenagers don't see these headlines what is a teenage boy to think what is a teenage girl to think that has either been raped or has had someone attempt to rape her what is she to think when she sees adults yeah when she sees grown men say well he was just 17 that's just what you do he was just 17. It's not a defense. These it's are not a defense.
2: Family values Christians yeah, and, who are saying and this listen, shit, too. listen, his
3: life is not going to be ruined. Brett Kavanaugh is a rich guy who's going to be just fine it's as though his life is going to be ruined because he's not going to be on the Supreme Court. Okay, well, then a lot of us have lives that have been ruined. You're right. Okay, right. because most people aren't going to be on the Supreme Court. My
2: life is an utter failure for my lack of uh, a seat on the Supreme Court, Brittany. Yeah. I don't know if you know. Yeah. I feel very depressed about
3: it. Yeah, he's going to be fine, and if she's telling the truth, this woman, she's not fine. She has had to live with this trauma her whole life, and it has caused problems for her. She's been in therapy, and so what's what's interesting about this is they're both going to testify. hmm And one of them is not telling the truth. That's right. But they're both going to sit up there and defend their position. Well, but we know that one of them is not telling the truth. Yes.
2: Well, let me say this. Her story is wildly credible for the fact that she went through marriage counseling in 2012. And her therapist... And these are notes that the Washington Post has reported on. They've seen them. They've verified. They've tested the veracity. These documents exist where the the therapist took notes about what was said in therapy. And back in 2012, she told the story. What is she, clairvoyant? She just knows this is going to come up? So she's just playing the long game. She's got this trap set. Come on. That's not, No reasonable person believes that.
3: Yeah, we thought everything was fine. We didn't know that Donald Trump was going to get elected. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're That's talking about exactly 2012 right. here. Those were yeah. like great times, right, everybody?
2: Peak of America.
3: Everything was much better than We lived in now. a
2: post-racial society with a black president. <laughs> everything was great.
3: All right. Well, relax. So <laughs> so this is obviously something to watch, and it, it's unfortunate that we have to watch the same old things be said um, about this woman, and...
2: Well, it's, it's just like the, the Republican Party or conservatives, we've all lived through the same last year or so relative to the Me Too movement. We've all witnessed the same things. We've experienced the same things. We've watched man after man after man um, set his own demise. We've watched it happen. And they've learned nothing Men like Ari Fleischer, who's the former press secretary for George W. Bush, making comments on Fox News about how that, well, he was just a high school kid, that's what they do, or something like that.
3: Can I also just say that I'm waiting for the moment when, you know, how old is Brett Kavanaugh? Is he in his 50s? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm just waiting for someone to be accused of something and for them to say, you know what? Yeah. When I was 17... I was drinking, and I was chasing after girls, and I, I drank too much at this party, and, you know, I don't even remember it that well, because that's how drunk I was, and I should really be more in control of myself, and uh, I made a lot of mistakes, so, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've done a lot of work on yeah. myself, this is the work that I've done, and... I regret this. I regret this behavior. And this is genuinely something that I've been trying to overcome and, and deal with.
2: Do you think we're approaching that time anytime soon?
3: No, because someone like Brett Kavanaugh has too much to lose. Yeah. Um, and these people that that come out and they're publicly accused, there's too much to lose. And so they can't risk it. But I just think I I um I think that would be so powerful to hear that. Yeah. To have a man say, Yeah. Um, you know, this, this, this whole movement, I'm like, I'm waking up to the way that it is for women. I'm waking up to the way that I've behaved and I'm in therapy or I went to therapy, you know, I no longer drink, you know, whatever it takes. I think that would be really powerful, but instead, every time this happens, it's no, I didn't do that. And I'm going to go testify under oath.
2: Well, that's, that's the thing that that sticks with me, not just the me too thing, but also how much respect does he have for the process, for for, for the, the power of the bench, of actually s- t- swearing or affirming to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, while under oath? How much respect does he have for it if he's willing to just fucking lie?
3: Right. Also, if his argument is, I don't remember.
2: Yeah, fuck you, dude.
3: Well, then... Why are you even testifying? why do why do we need to hear from you if you don't remember? Well, he, he clearly remembers not being at this party.
2: That's the thing he said is that he does remember not being there well th- then how is it you don't remember what memo you got about this or that when you were in the George W. Bush administration? So
3: he remembers his alibi from the eighties, but not yeah,
2: right. <laughs> it, you're a fucking liar it,
3: it's it's very inconsistent um and listen oh, not,
2: not liar. Just inconsistent?
3: No, I mean, well, I mean... <laughs>
5: the views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis.
3: He has certainly been accused already of lying under oath. Um, Patrick Leahy has made that accusation, and so there are already concerns yeah. About the lying under oath. Absolutely. So one thing I do want to say is I listened to the Daily this morning and apparently um, Christine Ford, the the victim, um, alleged victim of Brett Kavanaugh, she doesn't remember the specific house that it happened in. Like she doesn't remember specific parts of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're going to see the... I've already seen it. The Republicans... Well, I'm talking about during the Senate Judiciary Committee, oh, yeah. when they're trying to get at her story and get at her her allegations. They're going to bring that stuff up, and they're going to try to poke holes, and they're going to ask her, you know, how can she be sure that it's Brett Kavanaugh if she doesn't remember the house that it
2: happened in? Well, I, I would venture to... Uh, uh, you, I d- would,
3: you don't have to answer for her. I'm just saying these are the no, tactics. No, no, no. I'm
2: saying I would venture that the Senate committee staff is already working with her about what those types of strategies and tactics are going to be and that she's going to have answers. Mm -hmm. Um, It look, it's, this is a bummer. It's a bummer for her. This is a woman who has a PhD in clinical psychology. She's a, she's a a professor. This isn't advantageous for her. This doesn't set her up to be for fame and fortune. I mean, Anita Hill has led a very quiet life and who knows to what heights she would have uh, gone on to professionally if it hadn't been for her being Anita Hill that everybody knew from 27 years ago. This isn't good for her, but like she said, uh, Christine Ford, that her civic duty has overridden her, her desire for anonymity. Um, so, I, look, I'm, I feel for her. I think she's, uh, she's a noble, noble woman with a great deal of integrity, and I believe Christine Ford.
3: And you will definitely see us covering that on Monday.
2: Absolutely. It's the asshole of today.
3: Pat Robertson.
2: (laughs) Oh, wrong music.
3: Oh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So... The hurricane happened, Hurricane Florence, and Pat Robertson did something that I've actually seen regular people do. I, well, I know yeah. that he's a regular person, but
2: um, <laughs> people with zero notoriety.
3: Yes, that when there's some sort you know, of
2: regular people.
3: Yeah, when there's some sort of terrible situation, uh, I will see someone like get on Facebook and thank God for answering their prayers right. and like saving their life or their house or their car their especially belongings especially when
2: it's like an isolated pocket of relief when it's tragedy and mayhem right. and horror around them right it's ah mm-hmm. thank god I got spared Sorry for all the fucking death and destruction all around me.
3: Yeah. And this is actually so common that I was watching an interview uh, with the fires in California. Mm -hmm. And there was a woman who the entire neighborhood burned down. I think I saw this. In front of her house. Yeah. And her house was perfectly fine. But you looked in front of her house and all of the houses were gone. And she was standing in her driveway. And they asked her basically, how does it feel to look out your window and see where you used to see your neighbors? And and the houses are burned down. And she started crying. And she, you know, there was no thankfulness. Yeah, it's almost like
2: survivor's guilt.
3: Yeah, there was no, I was spared. It was just this feeling of just, it's so tragic for yeah. these people. And what made her special? You know, that she didn't have that happen to her. Yeah. There's nothing. It's just the luck of the draw. And so you have Pat Robertson, who's in a position of power who's not modeling this kind of behavior for his viewers. He's modeling the opposite behavior.
2: And here, here's the thing. I, I played the clip. I listened to this clip a couple different, three, four different times because he says something that made me think, is this a new clip or an old clip? Because he talks about Hurricane Alley. And I was thinking that was Hurricane Alley, like the name of the hurricane. What he means is where he lives is Hurricane Alley where all the hurricanes just get piped right in. He's talking about Hurricane Florence here.
1: Over the years, we've seen a tremendous number of hurricanes. This is called Hurricane Alley. And we've seen uh, many, many, many prayers being answered. Uh, we prayed together and our staff a few days ago and asked the Lord to move that hurricane's course away from this area. And from what we gather right now, the uh, storm track has shifted south of this area and uh, uh, we no longer are under the threat of a serious uh, hurricane here. I know people have been asking what we're doing, and what we're doing is we're just fine. <laughs> For that, I'm grateful. Yes. This is a lot of rain, but if somehow God has answered prayer in relation to us here at
6: it, we, we will CB. probably still, we won't get the eye, but we'll still have tremendous flooding here, Well,
1: We'll have flooding, but it won't be anywhere near what's going to happen down in Georgia, in South Carolina. All I can say is thank the Lord that we, at this point, sitting here with CBN, Regent University, and all the things we do here, has been spared once again. And people have been praying, and I hope you would pray, those of you in... Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, wherever you live, seek God and he is able to give you the del- relief, all right?
3: So 34 people are dead. Yeah. As a result of Hurricane Florence and you have Pat Robertson literally laughing about how he is safe and how quote God has answered prayers in relation to him.
2: Yeah. Hundreds of billions, hundreds of millions of dollars in property damage. This is People's lives have been upended and he's chuckling about it.
3: This is why are people watching this? I mean, that,
2: that woman always I think she's terrible, <laughs> but she always tries to bring him back from the deep end of dickishness. Mm-hmm. She never succeeds because he just he just barrels right through. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what is happening.
3: Yeah. And listen, I know that people use different ways to cope. Right. And it may be helpful to believe that the reason that you are saved or spared is because of your unique strength and contribution that that the world needs from you and God spared you because there's a purpose for the life and and everything like that. I, I totally get it. And I know I'm sounding like a dick as I say it, but I totally understand that that is like a protective measure and something that people use because it is Scary out in the world that at any moment the hurricane could take us or it could take our house Mm -hmm. or the the house, our house could burn down or we could be hit by a car on the street or whatever it is. Right. Life is unknown. Any of us could die. It's a small level of comfort. Right. It is. And I get that. But it's also hateful for the people who have experienced trauma who have had someone they love die, who are dead, whoever it might be, whose house has burned down, whose house is flooded, to hear that God spared you, that God answered your prayer. You know, there are religious people that are praying for this, too. Of course. There are people that are praying that their house doesn't get flooded because they can't afford it. There are people who are hoping the hurricane doesn't ruin their yeah. lives because they don't have money to deal with the but situation. Pat
2: Robertson, who can't afford it because he's he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe half a billion dollars. God looked out for him.
3: Yeah, so I'm just saying, if this is something that you use to cope, and I totally understand that. I mean, i I don't personally... Use that. I did. I used to. We can talk about that later. Um, but, <laughs> but just just consider your audience. Yeah, and consider how someone who is going through something
2: might not hear even, that
3: and how it might land for them. Yeah,
2: it's not even consider your audience. It's consider your neighbors. Consider your your countrymen and countrywomen who are negatively sometimes uh, in a in a in a life altering way impacted. Yeah. by these types of things. Yeah. All right.
3: Taken Care of Biz Brody Allen's family and neighborhood And neighborhood Yeah um, He is a two-year-old boy Who was recently, uh, five weeks ago um, Diagnosed with a rare form of brain cancer And told that he had two months to live
8: Well, Christmas is more than three months away, but one local neighborhood is getting into the holiday spirit a little early.
6: And it's all for a little guy named Brody Allen. Local 12's Brad Underwood is in Colerain Township tonight with his story. Brad?
8: Hi, Kimmy. You know, take a look at this. Adair Court is all lit up, and this is all for Brody Allen. He does have cancer, and it's very aggressive, and he's not expected to make it to Christmas. So, friends, family, neighbors, and total strangers they are making sure Brody gets all the lights and holiday cheer that he deserves. On the roof and in the front yard, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas.
3: We showed him last night and he's like, wow, yeah. ho, ho. <laughs> called Santa ho, ho. That's
8: right. <laughs> Santa is watching as Brody plays with his brothers and sisters. He's the youngest of six Allen children and he's battling a rare form of brain cancer. Given Brody... A wish, and that is to have Christmas. We know he's not going to make it to Christmas, so we want to do it now. Back in May, the family thought Brody had an ear infection. But after a series of tests, the Allens got the worst news possible. Children's Hospital informed us that he did not have an inner ear ear infection. Instead, he had um, four tumors. And another has grown since August. Knowing he'll miss Christmas, his mom turned to Facebook for some help, looking for Christmas decorations for Brody. And they're coming
5: in fast. Christmas came early, and it's awesome to see everybody stepping up with the community. I said I uh, came last night, and we were there. this is the only house lit up. And I came today, and it's like wow. I said this is awesome.
8: And even this afternoon, another delivery from a total stranger. It's just amazing.
3: I mean, people are just amazing, and she doesn't know us, and it's just. I, I can't explain it. It's just I'm grateful.
8: And while he may not fully understand all of this, Brody is excited about all the lights.
0: Say thank you.
2: <laughs> You're welcome.
8: So tonight, the cul-de-sac uh, here on Adair, it's all lit up and this is only going to get bigger as more neighbors are getting involved than we see through social media. Uh, how many people are posting, sending Christmas cards, too, uh, as well as lights that will be dropped off. And just on a personal note, uh, what a pleasure it was to just spend a couple hours tonight with this family and share their story tonight with you guys, Rob and Cammy.
6: That's so nice, Brad. It's nice to see the community come together, and we wish the family all the best. Thank mm-hmm. you.
8: I hope it's a good week for the boy.
6: I hope so, too.
3: So, in addition, there was a part of this story that stood out to me in the New York Times. And... um It was one of the neighbors was interviewed and they said, quote, my next door neighbor who only speaks Spanish took down all her fall stuff and put up snowflakes and poinsettias and did garland on her fence and lights. So that's a dig to Tucker Carlson, who doesn't seem to understand diversity and specifically singles out languages as being this barrier that cannot be overcome. Yeah um that their neighbor just saw that everyone was doing Christmas decorations and decided to join in. So this story is really powerful and I think we we try to end the show on a positive note even though this story is like really sad and I'm trying not to cry. Um it's it's nice to be reminded of the kindness and goodness in the world and how people are rallying to ensure that the last two months for this child even though he doesn't understand are going to be joyful
5: yeah
2: i think there's a benefit to when people it's not just a benefit to him but also a benefit to everybody else that when people come together and you know they they lock arms and they they endeavor in 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 one focus the entire neighborhood being christmas is it's powerful and I think there's gonna be bonds created here with not just this family but with neighbors and uh you know we, we don't do it enough but i i i we really do try to find stories that um are set examples that we are just a giant community, whether it be here on the show or whether it be in your neighborhood or in your state um I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to take part in in things like that so well, we love you guys, and um, we are always looking for submissions like this. If you turn us on to something like this, this is something we you know, every once in a while we hear a story about a kid who's who's um, seen the end of his life into her life, and they're wanting Christmas cards or whatever. We we love moments like that.
3: Yeah, definitely send us those. And I realized now that we're at the end of the show that we forgot to mention what happened at the top of the show which was the I never listened to I doubt it with
2: <laughs> the singing
3: the, the song that yeah. was delivered to us from Jason. And we wanted to say thank you for that because it isn't just a normal one line <laughs> uh, message <laughs> that we usually receive that took some time and dedication And so he
2: wrote a song for God's sake.
3: Yeah, we really appreciate that. And that was really (laughs) impressive, sir. So thank you for sharing it with us. We appreciate it. If you
2: got to the end of the show to hear the thank you, well, there you go.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure he was waiting for it. Yes. Yes.
2: All right. Well, we love you guys. We're going to see you next time. Listen, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email your voice memos and your regular emails from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com help us move the conversation forward we would also love your ratings and reviews on itunes apple podcasts good times thank you we love you we'll see you next time for britney page i'm jesse dollamore and this has been i doubt it lay back and take it britney page is uh that's kind of your motto (laughs) that's
3: not my motto don't say that (laughs)